Ruth chapter 3 this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it this morning. We thank you for your, your character of truth and of grace. And God, you know each of us. You know what we're going through, the busyness of our week. We invite you to, to speak to us. Would you calm our hearts and set aside distractions and send your spirit. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of us are aware of the tragedy that's taken place in Branson, Missouri. It was just a little over a week ago where people are on vacation and decide to go on a boat ride. And in that boat accident, 17 people passed away. And as I've been reading more and following that story, there's a a lady named Ty Coleman, or Tia Coleman, uh, excuse me. And in that accident, uh, her husband, Glenn, uh, passed away and her three children. The names of her kids are Reese, Evan, and Aria, ages nine, seven, and one. And some that were involved in the rescue a mission said that they uh, found uh, her husband with his arms around his three kids, uh, and they all four uh, drowned. But in addition to that, she lost a lot of extended family members. Of the 17 people that passed away, nine of them were her family members. So as she journeys forward, she's experienced tragic loss in her, her life. And what we find in the book of Ruth is that kind of loss, is Naomi has lost her husband. He's passed away at a young age prematurely, but then also she has both of her sons die. I mean, she's walking around with pain and loss, much like uh, Tia Coleman. Naomi's very open about her bitterness. She's open about her view of God, that she thinks that God is, is against her. But God is committed to restoring her life and restoring her joy. I don't think the pain ever went away for Naomi, but God didn't leave her in that hopeless state. Where we are in the story is... Naomi has returned to Bethlehem with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who's a, a Moabitess, and they begin to see hope. There's a man, Boaz, where Ruth goes and gleans in his field, and this relationship is beginning between Ruth and, and Boaz and will result in a second marriage for Ruth. Chapter 3 is a transitional chapter. It's, it's very easy to sum it up in five minutes. We, we could go through chapter 3 in five minutes this morning and go into chapter 4. I was very tempted to do that. Uh, but as I slowed down and studied it uh, more, there's a lot of truths in here for us to, to reflect on. And one is, is Christ being our covering. As Boaz was the covering for Ruth, Christ being our covering. And then also, as we come into the body of Christ and we're believers, how we can extend the covering of Christ uh, to others. So let's look in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? She's referring to marriage. She's saying, shouldn't I seek a, a husband for you? This was the custom, this was the, the culture, is that your family would arrange a marriage uh, for you. Because Ruth is no longer in Moab, this falls upon her mother-in-law, Naomi, to take this task to arrange a marriage uh, for her. Now, we don't live in a culture of arranged marriages, but with three daughters and one son, it may be a good thing to bring that back, right? <laughs> you know. now, now that I've been married for some time, I'm, you know, I'm thankful my parents didn't arrange my marriage, but 
you know, we're far removed from this, but if you do have kids, uh, something for us to, to pray through, and I'm journeying with you, uh, is we may want to be more involved than culture would say, right? We're, we're really involved in our kids' lives and a lot of decisions that, that they make as they, as they grow up, when, but when it comes to choosing their spouse, they're like, good luck, you're on your own, right? And obviously, we're not going to arrange the marriage, but that's something we want to be in prayer about. And maybe God would use you the way that God used Naomi to say, have you thought about this person? You know, th- this, this seems to be somebody that could be potentially a, a great spouse uh, for you. But what we do find in Naomi is she's taking action according to God's word. She knows that marriage is a good thing, that God has given the institution of marriage. And for us, we need to look at those moments in our lives when we take action according to uh, the word of God. And especially in this area of dating relationships, you know, for, for those of you that are single, it's a tricky endeavor, isn't it? It's a tricky journey to, to look at. And you, you find first, say, I need to wait upon the Lord. And that, that's absolutely true. There may be a season of waiting upon the Lord. But then what if God brings a Boaz into your life? What if God brings a Naomi, or excuse me, a Ruth into your life? It may be time to pursue that relationship. And what we find Naomi and Ruth doing is they're, they're pursuing the relationship. And God honors actions of faith that are in accordance with uh, God's word. Take a step of faith and see what God may do potentially in that relationship. In verse 2, now Boaz was a young woman. Now Boaz, whose young woman, uh, messing all up. I'm just going to get a little further down into that verse. Is he not our relative? In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. This introduces the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a relative, and it was the job of a relative to provide a redemption. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is goel, and it took place in a lot of different uh, contexts, this idea of uh, redemption. If the children of Israel got to a place where their life was in poverty, they may sell their inheritance. And then it was the job of the goel or the the kinsman redeemer to buy back uh, the property in behalf of of the family. If there was a a family member that was murdered, it was your job to to avenge the blood of the innocent person that was uh, murdered and that fell upon the goel, the the kinsman redeemer. But also in this area of marriage, uh, it would first be the closest brother he was to be the, the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, he, he wasn't the closest relative, but he was a relative, which qualified him to be a kinsman redeemer. And this concept of redemption is deep in the Old Testament, and it points to Jesus Christ. And ultimately, Jesus buying us back and redeeming us with his own blood. And the truth of redemption is so powerful. You, you think about that God would buy us back, that we sold ourselves because of sin, and God would love us enough to be able to purchase us back uh, with his, his own blood. So what Naomi is saying here is, is Boaz qualifies as a kinsman redeemer. In verse 3, therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he finished eating and drinking. So the instruction of Naomi is I want you to prepare yourself 
to go and have this conversation with Boaz. In essence, to ask Boaz to marry you. You want to wash yourself, you want to be clean, you want to anoint yourself, you want to smell good, and you want to look good. You want to put on your uh, best uh, garment. And what was taking place in the threshing floor is they would harvest the barley and then throw up the the barley and the wind would blow away the chaff. That process would take place in the evening as there was more wind current to to help in that that process. Ultimately, as the, the body of Christ, Jesus has done this for us. Jesus has made us a worthy bride for himself. Jesus has washed us in his own blood, hasn't he? Jesus has anointed us. One of the scriptures in the New Testament is we actually have the fragrance of Christ. That's the best fragrance of all. And then also, he's given us the garments of of salvation. There's a practical lesson in verse 3, and that is when there's a crucial conversation, pick the right time. Notice she says, don't go and talk to him until he's done eating and he's done drinking. How many of us have had a crucial conversation at the wrong time? Anybody? Anybody? right? Just the five of us, right? (laughs) Sometimes we rush into it. Maybe there's a a conflict or something of the heart that we want to talk about, and we're ready to talk about it, uh, but the other person's not ready to talk about it. And there's great wisdom in waiting to the peaceful moment, the, the right framework to have the conversation. If someone's hungry, that's not a good time to have that conversation. If someone's really tired, not probably a good idea. So, so wait till someone has rested, that they've had something to eat, and say, is, is now a good time for us to, to talk together? So that's good wisdom that Naomi gives to Ruth. In verse 4, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice the place where he lies, And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So as they're harvesting, they would sleep on the threshing floor, protecting their harvest, but also it's very practical. You're you're close to the work. The harvest time is is a busy time. So Boaz would be sleeping at the threshing floor by his his barley. Ruth's job is to go and to simply uncover his feet, to get his attention, to have this conversation. We'll talk more about that in in verse 9. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So Ruth is willing. She's willing as well to take a step of faith and act in accordance to God's word. Uh, This is a pretty risky proposal, right? You know, she's really putting herself out here to ask Boaz to, to marry her. In verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. So she goes out to the threshing floor in the evening here in verse 7, and after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went down to lie at the end of the grain and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So she does it so quietly that he doesn't even notice at first. He's asleep, she uncovers his feet, and she lays down at his feet. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, and he turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. I don't know about you, but if your feet get cold when you're sleeping, you tend to wake up. You know, maybe for some reason, uh, the blankets and the sheet come, come off of, of your feet. It happens to me maybe because I'm so tall and, and you know, I'm kind of coming off the bed uh, anyway to, to, to begin with. 
and I'll, I'll tend to wake up. Even if it's hot in the summer and you're sleeping under a sheet, you want, you want your feet underneath that, that sheet. So this is a good way to wake somebody up in the middle of the night, isn't it? To have this conversation. Wives, just, just try it tonight. You got something on your heart to talk to your husband about? Wait, wait till midnight and just uncover his feet and you'll probably get, get his uh, attention and this will take place. And Boaz wakes up and he's surprised to see this woman laying, laying at his feet. For those of you that have kids, I'm sure you've had this experience as well when your kids are younger, is you're dead asleep. And there's something about sleep when you're a parent where you just rest well many nights. You're, you're wore out, especially with young kids. And maybe you got some drool that's coming off onto the, the pillow. I mean, you are, you're out for the count. And here comes one of your sweet kids and they right, right, right up to you, and then they tap you on the shoulder. You go from dead sleep to about 99 miles an hour, right? You jump 10 feet off of the bed. You're like, what, what, what? Oh, phew, it's just, it, it's one of my kids. And that's the kind of startledness that Boaz has when he finds Ruth at, at his feet. In verse 9, and he said, who are you? She, she answered and said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. We know that Ruth and Boaz had met before, and they've had interactions, but here in the middle of the night, he's like, who, who are you? So I'm, I'm Ruth. I'm, I'm the one that's been serving in your field, and then she gives her request. She says, would you take me under your wing? And this is the, the symbolism of uncovering the feet, in a Jewish ceremony, there's a book that's called Manners and Customs of the Bible, and it writes and records for us that when a Jewish couple would be getting married at this time, that it was customary in the ceremony that the husband would take his robe and he would place it upon his wife's head, symbolizing she's coming under my covering. As Ruth is uncovering Boaz's feet, yes, she's trying to get his attention, but she's also saying, I would desire to be your wife. I would desire to come underneath your covering, to come underneath your wings. And this is a beautiful picture in Scripture of what Christ has done for us. We know that Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, and the church is, is the bride. It starts in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin. God comes to have his normal conversation with them in the cool of the garden. He says, where are you? They hide from God. Because of their sin, they're aware of their nakedness, so they provide their own covering, which is fig leaves, not very adequate clothing. I think we would all agree on that. And God has a conversation with them, but then also God provides a covering. He provides a tunic. An animal is killed by God. It's the first time we see death in the Bible. Sin causes death, and God gives a covering to Adam and Eve ultimately pointing to Jesus that would die in order to provide a covering for us. We go further on into Genesis, and we see Noah after the flood with his family, so relieved. Noah starts to grow some grapes, makes some wine, has way too much wine. The great patriarch of the faith gets drunk to the point where he's just laying around naked. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. And here comes his son, Ham. He thinks it's hilarious. Lives up to his name, goes hams it up, gets his two brothers, 
says, dad, dad is drunk and naked. You got to check this out. I mean, this, this is funny stuff. But the other two brothers have a different response and they will not look upon their dad's nakedness. And they walk backwards with a blanket between the two of them and cover their dad. Love covers a multitude of sins. The Ark of the Covenant pictures a covering for sin. The Ark of the Covenant was the box that would sit in the tabernacle and the temple and the Holy of Holies. And inside of the box was the law, a copy of the law. And the law ever points out that the children of Israel and ourselves are falling short of God's perfect standard. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a lid that's entitled the mercy seat. That God is going to meet with his people through mercy. That God is going to provide a covering for sin. One day a year on the Day of Atonement, blood would be shed from the lamb and placed upon the mercy seat. Now the cool thing is, is that Hebrew word that's translated into the English word mercy seat means propitiation. Means to appease the wrath of. And we find in the New Testament that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus is the covering for our sin. And we fast forward into the Gospels. Jesus comes in to Jerusalem right before he's arrested and crucified. And he begins to weep. He's crying over, over Jerusalem. His heart is broken over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem who's killed the prophets. Oh, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So Jesus is saying, I want to be your covering. I wanted you to come close to my heart, but you weren't willing to do this. So Christ goes to the cross, he dies and rises again, that when we receive the gospel, when we believe what Jesus has done for us, we come under Christ's covering. So this is a beautiful picture right here in verse 9 with Ruth and Boaz of Christ being our covering. And for us as husbands, this is a great thing for us to learn, to love our wives as Christ loves the church and say, how can I be a, a covering for my bride, physically and spiritually and emotionally? So we look at verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you didn't go after young men, whether poor or rich. So Ruth could have gone after young men. There seems to be an age gap between Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz is blessed that she desires to marry him. And he is more than willing to do the work of redemption. To, to buy back what Naomi has lost through the famine and through the poverty. And Jesus is more than willing to pay the price for redemption. He was willing to go to the cross for us. Now I want to throw you guys a curveball. and Pause for, for just a second in, in this narrative of, of Christ in the church. Now as the, the body of Christ... How can we learn from Boaz to be willing to extend a covering to the foreigner and to the alien? Because God's heart is for a person who is in Ruth's situation, the, the Moabite. Did you know right now in the world there are 65 million refugees? That's United Nations gives us that statistics. Now a refugee is someone who's had to leave their home because of war because of famine, because of a, of a natural disaster. There's more 
refugees right now in history than there's been in many other times of the world. We're actually seeing the world's population get relocated to other parts of the world. And as Americans, this hasn't touched us, but it doesn't mean that it won't. You know, we kind of live in this naive reality to think that, that nothing will ever happen to the United States of America. These, these kind of disasters couldn't take place in, in our country. And so because of this, primarily in the Middle East, we're seeing a lot of refugees have to flee to other countries that they would not normally be in. And I want to suggest to you that this presents a great opportunity for the gospel. If we're willing to be like Boaz. Remember, Boaz is opening up the door to the point of marriage to a foreigner, to, to a Moabite. Do you think everyone in Bethlehem had the same response to Ruth? No. I'm sure there was many that was like, what is she doing here? We got enough poor people in Bethlehem on our own. There's not enough to go around to, to try to care for her. I'm sure that there were those that saw Ruth coming down one side of the road and they, they went to the other side of the road because of the prejudice towards the Moabites. I'm sure there was naysayers to their marriage. She's a Moabite. You guys aren't even gonna be able to go to church together. She's not allowed to come into the assembly of God's people, but Boaz, being a picture of Christ, and now us being the body of Christ, is to say, we need to have a heart for the foreigner. We need to have a heart for the stranger and the alien. From a governmental perspective, those that are in government and our leaders, they have a lot of responsibility to sort out the refugee situation in a way that's responsible, a way that's safe, and a way that's sustainable. But we need to look at it through the lens of, I'm a kingdom kid. I belong to God. And life here is a lot more than just about being safe, amen? And how would I respond to a person in need? Would I be willing to extend my covering so that they could come underneath the, the covering of Christ. I want to tell you about a couple in our church. John and Elise Kirby, they attended here for quite a while. They would always sit right over here in these, these chairs. And God stirred in their hearts to move to Hamtramck, Michigan. And Hamtramck is right in the middle of inner city Detroit. And you know that inner city De Detroit is uh, a very crazy place. And this is a two-mile square mile right in the middle of, of Detroit where tons of refugees and immigrants are coming over uh, from the Middle East to the point where when I visited Hamtramck a few years ago is the signs for the restaurants are all in Arabic right right in the United States you would think you're over in the Middle East but but you're in in the United States and they began to reach out, and there's a group of missionaries that are there, and, and the Lord's really blessed. They, they have a sewing business for, for women, so uh, these Arab uh, Muslim women come and sew, and then they sell all of the things that, that they make. They've opened up a gym for women because the Arab women can't work out with men, so they don't have any place to exercise. That, that's a great idea. They got a community garden that, that helps uh, uh, feed people. But one of the things that God's using the most right now is they, they have a house that they've rented that's available to refugee men coming out of, of the Middle East. So guys are coming from Saudi Arabia. They're coming from Yemen. They're coming from Benghazi. And a young man named Rahim was walking the streets of Hamtramck about two years ago. 
He's been sent over as a refugee. Uh, His family had to all stay, but he was able to come to the United States. It's his first day in Hamtramck. He's completely lost, and he's looking for a barber to get his hair cut. John Kirby talks with him and befriends him, realizes he doesn't have a place to live. They welcome him into this house where these men are, are, are living, and he lives there for 18 months, and then he receives Christ as his Savior. The Muslim young man living for 18 months in this house, and he would tell John and Elise and say, I'm never going to believe in Christ. I'm never going to receive Christ as my Savior. But just seeing it watched, seeing the Christian life being lived out and watching it, God melted, melted his heart. He's been saved now for a year, and just recently they had a new guy come into the home, and Rahim tells the leader of the home, please don't share the gospel with them. I want to be the first one to share the gospel with them. Just in the last year, they've seen 18 people come to know Christ as their Savior and are walking with Christ and getting discipled, coming out of Hindu backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds. See, God's doing something bigger. And as people are going through trauma and as people are going through difficulty, it's an opportunity for the the body of Christ to reach out and say, I'm going to befriend you. I'm going to love you with the gospel of Jesus Christ it's very difficult to go live in Saudi Arabia as a missionary. It's very difficult to go live in Yemen as a missionary. But God is bringing these people groups to more Christian nations, I believe, for an opportunity to share the gospel. 1.3 million Syrian refugees are now living in Germany. I talked with a, a man last week that was visiting our church, and he and his family are moving to Germany to do what Boaz, in essence, did to offer a covering to people who are in a very difficult uh, situation. What would you do if uh, a Muslim moved into your neighborhood? Maybe that's already taken place, you know? What if a Muslim refugee uh, is is very clearly evident in your uh, apartment complex? Do you do one of these? What's up, you know? I'm going to be watching you, right? I'd hope not. I'd hope that's not how we respond. I hope that we would respond with with the love of Jesus Christ. We have to remember not every Muslim is a radical terrorist. When you really read and study about the Muslim nations, they're suffering greatly from the jihadists. And so for us to be able to say, God, open up my heart. It does include Muslim refugees, but it also includes that foreigner or alien at your work uh, that's from here but they're the outsider, and you always see them off by themselves. This is the heart of God for us to extend the love of Jesus Christ uh, to them. My heart this week, for some reason, has really been thinking about uh, the kids in our community uh, that go through abusive situations, physically and sexually, and have to go into foster homes. And it's, it's broken me, and it's kind of frustrated me as well. I hope in, in a godly sense, because you think about these kids that have been abused or are being abused by many times a family member, and then they speak up and how hard and difficult that that is, and then rightfully so, they're taken out of their home, but that's their parents, you know, and and that tension inside of them and that hurt that's inside of them, and maybe God's calling you to foster care. And that's not for everybody. That's a calling, but that's, that's what Boaz did here. God had blessed him, 
and he had more than he needed. And so he says, I'm going to open up my covering to uh, someone else. And so let's make that application as well. Say, man, Christ has covered me, and because he's covered me, I want to be a covering to someone else who is in a vulnerable and broken and needy situation. Let's look at verse 11, see how this story wraps up. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for all that you've requested. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. So Boaz says, yes, yes, I will marry you. I will go make this arrangement of the kinsman redeemer. You're a virtuous woman. He knows he's marrying a woman of character. Now it's true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Stay this night in the morning. It shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So he's saying there is one closer that I need to go have a conversation with. And if he chooses to redeem you, so be it. But if not, I'm more than happy to do this. Some have tried to take this chapter and try to suggest that something sexual happened between Boaz and and Ruth. The only thing that's a little bit scandalous is she saw his ten toes, right? So as she lays down at his feet, nothing sexual uh, took place at all. It's very clear that they're, they're waiting uh, for marriage, for sexual intimacy. So she laid down at his feet, at his feet, until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And as he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the the city. He blesses her with six ephahs of of barley. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. He means business. He's going to take care of things. So be patient. I think we're going to hear news soon. So Naomi's acting in accordance with God's word. Ruth is acting in accordance with God's word. And so is, is Boaz. I believe there's two applications for us this morning. And the first is, come under Christ's covering. Come under Christ's wings for salvation. Has God been drawing you? You know, is Jesus weeping over your soul because he's been longing to be in relationship with you, longing to save you, but you've yet to see your need for Christ? Maybe this morning is the morning you realize that Jesus is God, that he died for you, that he rose again. Make that decision for Christ. Turn from sin, turn to Christ. Jesus saved me. Jesus be my covering. Be robed in his righteousness. In just a moment, we're gonna sing and worship together. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your savior, come down. Let somebody on the ministry team know. Let one of us know as pastors, I wanna receive Christ uh, as my savior. As a believer, is there a situation in your life that needs to come under Christ's covering? If Christ can provide salvation, can he work in the situation that you're going through? In Psalms, it tells us this, Psalms 36, it says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! 
Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And then as the body of Christ, reach out to someone who is in Ruth's situation, someone who is the stranger, someone who is the foreigner, someone who is experiencing rejection. It's not always easy, but we see God work in great ways as we reach out and extend the covering of Christ to them. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for for covering us. We could not provide an answer for our sin, but you have paid the price on the cross for our sin. For those that don't know you, we pray that you administer your love to them and the need for salvation. The challenges in our lives, those situations, those difficulties, Jesus, we want to put our trust under your wings. We want to come close to your heart this morning. And God, help us to see the Ruths in our community. Lord, we do pray for all of these refugees that are being scattered all over the world, not by their own choice. And we do pray that the gospel would be shared with them, the love of Jesus Christ would be declared to them, and that many would come to know you. So Lord, help us to see those that are hurting and to be able to reach out to them. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.